I had a really cute, uh, my name's Colin, whatever. I had a really cute way of starting this, um, which, and then I had the man flu. I've had the man flu the last week. So, um, um, and, and Linda's away, I'm batching it, so, um, but I'm married to a nurse, so I don't expect sympathy. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was harsh. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, morning, my name's Colin. Would anyone like a cup of tea? Um, in the picture that's over there, um, when you arrive in a village, or this was a hospital setting uh, in Bangladesh, everything stops. Absolutely everything stops, and you have a cup of tea together, and there we are. I think this is just before we go, because when you go, everything stops again, you have a cup of tea again. And for those in, who are wondering, it's very hot, um, boiled tea, really strong tea with condensed milk. I can see you all just so looking forward to it. Um, in a really hot climate, it's really nice. And um, up on the screen in front of you is, uh, this is, hold on, I'll show you, this is Nadine. Um, this is Dr. Edric Baker running a hospital for the poor. A Kiwi guy, unfortunately, he's passed on. I can't remember this guy's name. This is Rotten, and this is me. Um, and Rotten and Nadine, um, quite a number of years later, got married. And it started with a kappa. Because that's how it works in Bangladesh. Everything starts with a kappa. A little bit like, would you like a kappa? If you go on to the marae. If you go into Marae setting, there'll be the karanga, the ko'uling, there'll be the faikorero, the speaking, the waiata, the koha, the hongi, and then you sit down to have kai. Everybody has something to eat and drink. And at that point in time, that eating and drinking together brings things back to a whakanoa, which lifts the tapu and then mianoi tatu, then we are one. You go from being all spread out, and it's not until you've had a kappa together and something to eat, they think that now we're one, so would you like a kappa? If you're traveling in Arab countries, and uh, my father had a thing for um, uh, Persian carpets. I've inherited some Persian carpets. And of course, if you're buying Persian carpets, anyone ever been through this process? No? no? Oh, yep. So you've got to haggle. It's the deal, and part of the haggling is you have a cup of tea together. You have to drink together because it says the other person is important. And actually, if you're going to buy something like a Persian carpet, they're not that fancy, uh, fantastically cheap, um, you probably do want to have a cup of tea first. Because if you're rude, you'll pay for it. So do you want a cuppa? If you eat together or drink together, it says something about your relationships with other people. In the Arab context, you then become an extension of family. So who'd, had a, who'd like to cuppa together? And it might not be a cup of tea. It might be a beer or wine or whiskey or Coke. It's the act of having something together. Who would like a cup of tea? In Genesis 18, in verses 1 to 15, there's an odd story of God appearing to Abraham. The story is of three men or angels or God. The story is kind of intentionally vague about it. And Abraham sees them standing by. Now, this is remarkably similar to if you... As I understand it, if you're a Maori and you're going out of your turf and you're coming onto another marae, you don't just walk in, you kind of stand around the entrance. You give them a chance to spot you. Yep. And that gives them an opportunity to think, what am I going to do? Am I going to invite these guys in? Or are we just going to pretend that they're not there? Yep. What's going to work out from here? This is what they do, is they stand off to one side of the stranger and give, give Abraham a chance to think, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And although there are issues, if you're going to have someone over for a cup of tea, well, you need to feed them, don't you? 
That means they've got to have food together. And in the Arab context, remember, that means you're, as once you've eaten together, you're not at war. So are these people you trust enough to do that with? And then there's the issue, if you're traveling together, well, how's the, um, how dirty are they? Do you want the, all that dust on your um, carpet? So Abraham looks up, looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. And I wonder, do you reckon his tent was tidy? Abraham downs tools and says, would you like a cuppa? He makes the time. He uses, gets his servants to make food and drink. Come and eat some kai with us. When Andre, Andre Rublev was commissioned into painting an icon, and painting an icon way back was a big deal, um, you'd have an entire monastery set aside praying for this person. When you were commissioned, it would take months just to figure out, here's what we're going to paint. So this was quite a big deal. And uh, when he was commissioned to painting an icon to symbolize the Trinity after lots of prayer and thought, he painted this picture. This is um, the three strangers who are visiting Abraham and Sarah. The Lord sitting down for a cuppa and a bite to eat. And Rublev kind of tried to use this to paint Trinity and tried to make it clear that there was room. See how the table's kind of open? There's room for an extra person, for the person who's looking. There's room at the table for you. The offer of a cuppa isn't just about a drink. It's about making time, unagended time, to be together. It was the core of how Jesus discipled the twelve. They ate and drank together and spent lots of time hanging out with unagended time. And then all these people would interrupt them. And that became the core. What was happening in daily life became the core of how they would talk about the kingdom of God. And everybody noticed this. They noticed how Jesus ate and drank with people. Now, to understand this, um, we have to step outside our culture. In Roman and Greek culture, who you eat with defines your status and your power. This is how you declare your class. So if you are a senator, imagine an MP then you only eat with other senators. And in fact, if you take someone who's not a senator and invite them to your table, you're saying something about them you think they could be one day. You, eating together is about status and power. In the Jewish context, not so much. In the Jewish context, it was more a reminder of who you are. Remember they have this Passover meal that is full of memory of where you're from? A little bit like, um, who you know, we celebrate birthdays. Okay, um... Anybody here remember the day of their birth? It was a long time ago for some of us. No, you were there, it's true. Yeah. Please, Bill, good on you. Um, glad you know that. We remember it every year, kind of reminding ourselves that we're getting older. No, we're just finding there's something about, something about making it special yearly. And in the Jewish context, the, the Passover was this remembering who we are, and so they would say uh, a wandering... Wandering Aramean eye, would mean talk, talking back to when they weren't wandering Arameans, remembering what happened a long time ago. 
It was a reminder of who you were, and there was some holiness in it in that you weren't supposed to eat with outsiders. So in the Roman and Greek context, this is about power and status. And in the Jewish context, it's about insiders and outsiders and holiness. And Jesus fronts up on the scene. And how does he play it? Well, here's what they say about him. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why are they not? They're not because he eats, he's breaking the rules. He eats with people who aren't equal to him with power and status. He breaks the rules. He eats with outsiders, dirty people, people who haven't yet had a chance to wash their lives or their feet. And lots of things happen over meals. A woman pours perfume on Jesus' feet and people are outraged. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' table and eats with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany and tells stories again and again that reinforce the value of eating and drinking together. A foreign neighbor knocking on your door late at night wanting something to eat. A beggar at a rich man's door. Stories of feasts and banquets and invites to that. So, would you like a cuppa? I had planned to be serving tea at this stage, but I'm claiming the male flu, okay? Don't want to pass it on. And remember, there's these rules for eating for status and power and holiness, and Jesus completely breaks them. And he says to his host when he sees that they're being particular about who gets to sit who, playing this clique game, he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and you'll get repaid but when you have a banquet invite the poor the lame the blind and you will be blessed although they cannot repay you you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous he is breaking the rules he is breaking the cliques and in their culture that is astonishing you don't do this it breaks open the old boys clubs if you're inviting a cripple if you're inviting someone who is not qualified to be there, a street sleeper to the Rotary Club. There's a clash. Over time, we in the church have got a little less comfortable with that. When Henry Ford invented the factory, its assembly line, which is very much the basis of our modern culture now, well, you don't stop everything when, someone, when a new worker comes to the assembly line, do you? Because the assembly line, what do you do with it? You never stop it. The assembly line's got to keep going. In fact, the secret of an assembly line is it treats people like parts of a machine, a machine to make more machines. And our culture has kind of moved this way. And if you're doing that, well, actually, you want to condense the time that you eat together as much as possible. You know, you want to have quite rigid times to stop for lunch. And our culture seems to have moved this way. American and Canadian culture more so. I have a good friend who lives in Canada who is a trained chef, incredibly hospitable. Uh, I, I, um, and she tells me that they have... She's been there more than 10 years. She's invited lots and lots of people to her place. They love coming to her place. But she says, I never get invited to this. In, the, in American and Canadian culture, you go out to eat. You don't go to someone's place. And why not? Well, because it's threatening, isn't it? What will they do? How will they judge you? Will it be tidy enough? 
I've got a brother who um, sneers at my coffee machine. Now, there's good reasons to sneer at my coffee machine. It's a bit sick. Yep. But, you know, and when he comes over, I'm aware I'm going to make him a cup of coffee and it's not going to be up to snuff. And what am I going to do about that? I'm mostly trying to get over it, but obviously, as I've shared it, I haven't quite. Um, <laughs> and the irony is that we go from this kind of assembly line to this kind of assembly line instead. Because we want to take the easier option, because we're so busy feeding our own assembly lines, we go to a fast food restaurant, a McDonald's, KFC, Burger King, that run the same kind of assembly line. That means you can eat your food in a rush and get back to rush off to your own assembly line. Anybody see some irony in that? We've come a long way from Abraham spotting three strangers at the side and saying, come in, let me wash your feet, grab a cuppa, sit with me. You can see we've got communion ready. At the core of the church is this eating together, our stopping and being together. It is the least machine-like thing we do in our life. Because no matter what you do with eating and drinking, there is a sharing and exchanging that happens there. It's a people thing. It's not a thing thing. There's always a sharing and offering, a receiving and exchanging, a taking and breaking. And that's what you see in the life of the early church. Peter writes and says, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If you're going to get to know people, there'll be a multitude of sins. They're always there. It's just whether or not we're going to confess to them. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. There's a hint there of that Abraham story. Now, we know that most early communions didn't take place in a church at all, but in a home. People would appear in the early evening because they've been working with a kind of a pot-like summer. They'd greet each other. They're happy because work's over. Everybody's on one level, men and women, Romans and citizens, commoners, slaves and free. Very not like the culture around them. Lamps are lit, couches are set up, feet are washed. They have a meal reclining around a courtyard or squashed into a room. They share news. Someone produces a music, musical instrument and they begin to sing. They actually wrote some new songs, snatches of which we find in the New Testament, like, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We don't have the original music for that. Or, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's one we still sing. Meantime, someone brings out the church box. Well, what's in the church box? Will it contain some precious Christian belongings, maybe some sayings of Jesus or maybe a letter from an apostle? And praise is heartfelt. And there might be speaking in tongues. There might be people praying for healing or specific needs. And at some point, someone will read from the Old Testament scripture, tell a story about Jesus. They'll encourage each other while they eat and drink. Every scrap is finished. The prayer that Jesus taught them is recited. They move about, embrace each other with a holy kiss and go home. All pretty simple. And in their home. Off they go into the night, spiritually refueled for the next week. It's not an assembly line. It takes time. We'll take communion in a little bit, but something else first. If you want to have a cuppa, 
there are some things that are going to have to happen. Who's going to get the tea and coffee out? Who's going to wash the dishes afterwards? There's service involved. And it can go well or it can go badly. When Linda and I first came back to New Zealand, we moved to Auckland where we knew no one and thought we need to get some new people. I can't remember if this is just before we've had a baby, our first baby, or if we've just after it. And we invited this couple who looked like us over. We said, come, join us for a drink. It was a night out. We were quite excited about it. Um, it was a night out, all right, a night out of a dark comedy. Um, you know those open-plan kitchens? They're, they're kind of cool, because you can be social while you're cooking. They're not so cool if you spill a bit of pumpkin soup on the hot plate and it catches fire. It's, it's just not a good look. It's not what you want everyone to see. You'd really rather that happen behind closed doors. And, and that, but that was okay. And then after dinner, I kind of enthusiastically um, threw myself into a chair. I'm pretty sure it was me that spilt the soup, by the way. Um, threw myself into a chair, and we had this lovely chair. My father had given it to us um, when he decided he didn't want it. Made out of this you know, Nordic bent wood kind of stuff, you know, the, the things. I threw myself into this chair, and I guess the wood had had enough. Because a leg broke off, and so me and the chair did a somersault into the TV, which went off its cabinet, and it did a somersault, and was never quite the same again. This all happened in one evening, and funny thing, we never saw that couple again. We had this desire to have warm fellowship to connect with others, but things go wrong. The soup gets burnt and catches fire, chairs collapse. What if the guests don't leave? What if they're bores? We do exist, you know. What are they going to think about your house? Will your coffee be up to par? Mine, by the way, is not. How tidy is it? All these things can make it hard to have people into your home. So we go for safer options. And good options. We try and, I, we, honestly, here we try and encourage people to stay and have a cuppa. We want us connecting because at the core of church is relationships. Shared lives. We want to be a place of warm relationships for old and new. We think that's where discipleship happens. So stay for a cuppa. But of course, to do that, some saints have to be there and set up the kitchen and clean up afterwards. Kieran's doing it this week, aren't you? Karen. Yeah, I get the name wrong again. Okay. Um, thank you. And we're trialing, trying having a lunch once a month. You come along for soup and buns? It's been great, eh? It's lovely. It gives us more time together without much agenda. The agenda is to enjoy each other's company, make connections you might not ever have. And again, that takes work in the kitchen and people to make soup and big shout out of thanks. And then we have life groups and that takes people to host life groups. People in your house. It's, sometimes it's tricky. Sometimes we burn the soup. And I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, there's things in our culture that make this harder for us. It is safer to meet someone for a coffee. It is it's what, part of why our culture is moving that way. So, what I wanted to do was invite, and I have invited some people to come, and people who've had a little bit of input or who have seen acting in hospitality, is there anything helpful, simple, that's helpful, that might cue us in how we can help each other, connect with each other. So if you've been contacted and you're open, would you come up? We've got these chairs here. I put them out for you. I failed at getting you a cup of tea. Would you be prepared to come up? And 
I'm just interested in hearing a story or two of how it's been. I'm interested in reflections. This is not highly scripted. I'm interested in anything where you think, gosh, I wish people knew this. Well, you come up, grab a seat, There's, I'll put a mic. I will tell you, I've told this story once before, a friend of mine. Now, this isn't necessarily because these guys are super saints and do this all the time. This is not, you, this is not that you can expect that you'll be invited to their place, okay? No, there's no. But I will tell you that in my first church, there was um, a lady who told me that when her and her husband got married, I've told the story before, they made an agreement. They decided that they would never tidy their house before they had guests over. And they did that because they said, we knew if we started to start tidy our house, because we're having guests over, we'd keep raising the bar, and after a while we'd stop inviting guests. Now, they managed to do that. I will confess that they are much, both much tidier people than I am. Okay, I, I don't know that I could do that. But that has always stuck with me. Would you rather be with the people or look really good? So who's game to give us a, what's a reflection on either what it's like inviting people into your house, connecting, or, hey, we've found this really helpful because there are challenges. There's, there's more than one mic, so you can... <laughs> hold, you, if you hold that, you can serve three. Years ago, years ago, I read a book called Open Heart, Open Home, and I can't remember much from it at all, but <laughs> it was a long time ago. But I suppose what it spoke to me at the time was that hospitality wasn't actually about the food and the tidiness. It was about your heart and your attitude. And um, yes, I do try to tidy the place, but when you've got two dogs, you sort of need to. Um, poor Jean's been the, the um, recipient of some unwelcome hospitality from our dogs. They like jump, but they like you. She doesn't like them, but they like you. So things that go wrong with hospitality is your dogs. Um, but, yeah, for me, I suppose my... We were talking the other night about this, is when the kids were younger, I always used to make things I knew the kids would like so they'd look good, so that I didn't have to worry about corralling them. Um, but also just, yeah, it, to me it's about sharing time with, it, with people, and I know there are people in this church who are far more hospitable than we are, and um, I'm in awe of them. But just make a comment, there's, there's a life stage in this thing as well. Mm. When you have young kids, it's incredibly, uh, you've got a wonderful opportunity to have people over, to have their kids, and actually to try and get parents. It's great if parents can gang up, it's quite helpful. Um, but ages and stages change. When you don't have kids, it's a different dynamic and uh, uh, almost harder to connect. Yeah. Sorry, one other thing I, I think is quite important too is that Sometimes I think we can get so tied up being the perfect host and doing everything, actually that can be a little bit excluding. And so for me, I think it's great when people say, can I bring something, or can I help in the kitchen, or whatever. And I think that allowing people to be part of that shared hospitality actually is about being in family together. And when you're standing next to each other doing dishes or making the coffees or something, often those sideways conversations are the best bits. So yeah, I think it's cool to let people be part of it too, even if it's in your home. I guess when we, um, we've done a few new churches over the, our married life and it's been great to come to a new place and to, I just find it so much easier to meet people if they come home. Um, and even if it's not for lunch, it's for a cup of tea, I think that's great. We don't have to um, be tied down to creating a whole thing. Um, a way that we have worked to embrace 
having families over when we haven't actually got a family at home now is that um, the Smiths in, in, introduced us to this lovely game called Smythe. And Smith, I've said it wrong, haven't I, AJ? What, tell me. Smite. 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 And um, it's just one of those games that you can play on the lawn, and um, we now find that that's great if we've got intergenerational people coming to have a game up our sleeve. Um, I think probably one of the hardest things is actually me. Um, because it is so easy to, you don't want someone over because you haven't tidied up. Um, or, you know, it's just so busy because it's so easy to, you know, like come here on a, um, on a Sunday morning and, you, you know, you're all good. You haven't had a fight on the way to church. Um, <laughs> we know half of you did. Um, you know, it's, it's easy, you know, just to have, I suppose, superficial conversations, you know, within our two hours that we have here. Um, but that is a whole lot different when you invite someone in your, into your home and they actually get to see kind of the real you. Um, I know lots of our young adults have seen me and Mike in all sorts of situations. Um, they've seen the good, bad and ugly and they, yeah, they can really see what being a real person and a real Christian is actually about. It's not just, you know, what we pretend sometimes here on a Sunday morning. You um, also, you had... Uh, a bunch of what are now young adults in your lives throughout the earthquake, which was a time when people did open their, their homes um, and when you actually couldn't pretend that everything was right because it wasn't. And there's been a little gift from that. Absolutely. We'd come home. <laughs> and I was always scared to walk past our back gate because I'd always look around the corner because... We'd have teenagers jumping out of our like orange, yellow and red bins at us when we came home. <laughs> or we'd come home and there'd be plastic spoons placed in all random places around the garden. Um, or the garden fairies had been and actually done our garden. Um, so that was, yeah, quite a cool... Do you have the contact number for the garden fairies? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they're still into that. Yeah. They, now, they now all have cars and don't wander the neighbourhood. <laughs> The other thing I want to add to that actually is um, the real blessing that really come from that time actually um, in our family is, um, and that's actually part of being part of community and, 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 and youth, I guess, um, but just being part of community is that, that Jack from a very early age um, has had big brothers and sisters. Um, in fact, he's grown up knowing... Um, knowing that and the earthquake was kind of like there's a few photos that float around sitting every year on Facebook at the anniversary of Jack and a, and a crate outside church with a Jasper and I think Corin and Ian and a few others just sitting there and that was that's been life for Jack he has grown up with with teenagers who are now adults um, and got to experience and know things that he wouldn't otherwise had experienced. And I think that's been such a blessing. They talk about um, your, your children are raised by a village, and that is absolutely true. And certainly um, opening our home, and sometimes, to be fair, it wasn't always open. It wasn't always open, but, you know, Mike might have been a bit grumpy when people turned up. But actually, to be fair, I changed my mind pretty quickly because actually I loved having them around because I love being around people. But sometimes it's like, oh, that's so inconvenient. But actually it was awesome. But, yeah, I really have to say the, the number one thing that I've seen in our life that, that has changed so much is, is having our son grow up with big brothers and sisters he didn't have. And it's so cool. 
I guess uh, for us, uh, Brendan has been a youth leader for a long time. <laughs> um, and some of our young adults, uh, he first took hold of them, I guess, in year nine. Um, and he's had that relationship with those guys. And so what we ended up doing is we didn't invite them to our home as such because we actually live quite a ways from church. But we have a batch which is very un-PC. We have a four-wheeler that doesn't have a helmet and all sorts of things like that. So the guys were invited and we actually lived with them for weekends. Um, provided I provided lots of food. Um, Brendan provided the entertainment and, um, and they could basically do whatever they liked while they were at our batch. Um, and we lived... Um, with them for weekends at a time and stuff. We also trusted them with um, house sitting and dog sitting. Um, some of the photos that came through from WhatsApp were interesting or Instagram, and I just tried to ignore that. Um, but we did trust them, and um, our dogs love the guys that um, have house sat for us, and now Grace has also taken on that task for us, which is great. Um, so we've, we've shared our homes in different ways, but the other thing... Um, that we've done is we've taken opportunities to socialise like with Mike and Joe <clears throat> when um, it was Activate Then, now Impact. Um, both our children were um, there and we decided that we would go for dinner every now and again and have relationship that way so that we didn't have to traipse all the way home um, and have dinner at home and then come all the way back again. So we went to the local pub or local restaurant. Um, and that was another way that we... Um, participated, I guess, in socialising and exten extending friendship. So, um, I, I guess I look at hospitality not just for people in church. Mm. Um, I look at the people in my street. I look at the people who I mix with at school. And um, hospitality for me has changed over the years. Um, when I was a youth group leader, I had youth in and out of our home all the time. Sometimes they'd need to crash because things at home weren't good. Um, sometimes it was a matter of um, just having them around or they just feeling the need to drop, that they could drop in any time. Now, as, I've got, as I had children, we've had youth in our home for cell groups and, and then Tania and Brendan and I and Mike used to have a small group where we did dinner and a Bible study if we we could. Um, I think I want to talk about challenges to hospitality. For me, as a young mum, one of my biggest um, challenges was um, a child with allergies. Um, taking him somewhere to a different home, was my worry was not wanting them to feel uncomfortable about having us in their home mm. um, because of his allergies, because of what he couldn't eat. Um, and uh, so I would take food with us. So that... I think people feel uncomfortable a little bit about that sometimes. But grown-ups have allergies too. And I think you need to embrace that a little bit. I think, um, uh, for instance, there are people here in church who have nut allergies. It, sometimes it's um, getting over that fear to invite a person with an allergy into your home um, and not worrying about that. You know, they will tell you if they can't eat anything and not being embarrassed that you peps have got something that they can't eat they because they are old enough to not eat it. <laughs> they know the territory better than you can. Yeah. So in that fit, you know, you can ask, any allergies, what can I do? They know. Yeah. Um, the other challenge, I think, is actually um, not 
just allergies, it's um, being embarrassed about having people in your home if it's not tidy enough or um, if things are different to theirs. You need to kind of get over that a little bit. People don't give a toss about your house. I mean, I've been in homes where people have just... No, no. <laughs> I wasn't looking at you. But I've been in homes where um, things aren't anything like my home, but I don't care. I, I like the people. I'm not, hospitality isn't about your home, it's about your food, it's actually about the person. And, um, you know, part of the thing about, you want people to come into the kingdom, and I guess I look at, you know, people I see at, at school, at the gym, I want them to know Jesus. So I can't do that if I don't open up my own life to them, and I can't do that if I'm not vulnerable in front of them. Um, and the same goes for you. I need to be vulnerable in front of you. We can't be a family of God if we're scared about being vulnerable. If we're scared that we're all going to be judged by each other, then actually that's not the family of God. And hospitality is about loving one another no matter what. It's about showing grace when they're, you know, I, I have interaction with families who, whose lives are in chaos, who are in terror, but I don't care. What I care about is showing them that Jesus loves them, that I love them no matter what. You know, I have a family whose child comes to my home in the middle of the night because their family is in turmoil and the violence, the police have been called. I don't care. What I care about is that child is safe and that they know we love them. Hospitality is not about the food. It's not about your home. It's about loving people and being open to them. Yeah. No, um, and, and absolutely on the ball, it isn't only an insider game. You know, quite a lot of evidence suggests now that one, if you want people to know Jesus, you have to open your life to them. Not just tell them a story and lead them to Christ, but it's actually, there's more than that. They need to see into our, our We need to be, to relax and be okay with being who we are with God. Something that, um, <clears throat> to be fair, has probably been um, challenging for me, very challenging actually, is, is a couple of families that have come into our life in the last 10 years. Um, and really, Joe's been the, the catalyst and the one working here, but um, somehow I've had some impact, I don't know how. But um, we've kind of had, um, I'll, I'll use the, the late, latest one, but Joe's um, just through her relationship and, and who she is um, with a with a, a young mum um, in a really bad family situation who created a friendship and um, before I knew it, um, she was living at our house um, temporarily and I was like, oh my gosh, righto, um, she's with us because she had to walk out of her home and and uh, there's a story there that, that Joe has been working with her and I got to know, and I have to be honest, um, this caused a lot of... T- no, I wasn't hospitable <laughs> um, because for me it was challenging because this is my home and I don't know you, and I struggled with it, whereas Joe was like, yeah, no, she, she immediately showed love, and I was kind of like, oh, really, I, I don't want to do this. But I got to know the person, and um, they got to know me, and it changed. God changed me, actually, um, and now I'm, I have a different relationship with that person, and they are part of our family. Um, I'll let you share the rest of it, Joe, because you, you've got the context. Um, I do wonder on a daily basis why God puts people in your life. Um, but like the that Hebrews verse, do not forget to show hospitality to a stranger, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Um, 
and I think that's the case in our situation at the moment where we ended up with a young lady living in our house um, with her son. So it wasn't just, you know, you ended up with two teenagers and an extra female in your house. Um, but it's kind of funny, I found it easier to, yeah, with someone in your home, you, you can't hide anything. Um, so, you know, if this is, you know, what God wants you to be doing, is he's going to shine his love through you, you know, no matter what. Um, but then the cool thing is, after all of this, um, we were asked to be godparents to her new baby, which she had on Thursday, so that was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, it is probably one of the hardest things, yeah, that we've ever probably done together, um, but actually the most rewarding as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm Papa Mike now, allegedly, so I don't know how that works, but... It's, only yeah, I've only submitted it. But it is, it, but actually it's, it's to go 180 and actually go, right, actually this is really important and, you know, through things I'm saying, Joe's saying, and, you know, we can see a change in this person who, who when I first met was living a pretty, her life wasn't good on some stuff that she shouldn't mean she's walked away from that. And um, that's through her own choices, but with some encouragement mainly from Joe. But living in our home um, and being around us, somehow um, we've had an impact um, for good, I guess. I'm, 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 and, you know, and there's some stuff happening there, which is awesome. So, yeah, we're praying and, and we're hoping for even more change. So, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to give everybody a, 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 a shoulds. We should all be this. I, I think we kind of need to recognise um, I'm not on, high on the extroverted scale, which means that I don't love to be together with 30 people. I get on a lot better with twos and threes. Um, uh, we're all wired differently in this. Some of us need our own space. Some of us live in houses where actually having people over isn't practical. That's not the goal. The goal here is that building relationships of warmth and depth takes doing stuff together, eating together. Um, Howard and Jill have had a whole bunch of people come and stay in their house over extended periods. And you notice they come back. They keep, they keep coming back to visit you because they've invested in other people's lives. Actually, Mark and Marie have had loads of students over you open your lives and you invest in others and there's a payback, there's a, an exchanging that happens in this. So the stranger, the Christian history of hospitality says the stranger has a gift for you. So I didn't want to say we should do this. I think too that um, we've had like relatives or people through church, first people bored with us over the years and like Mike and Joe, that's been both good and challenging. And what I think is interesting is that God often uses some of those challenging sides to challenge us about some of our own attitudes and, and how we cope with people being different than us and how we tolerate things that aren't the way that we would do that. And often we're not very good at that. But I still think God uses it, you know. But one of the hard things is to know when that time's to end when it's time for that person to move on and and that challenges you as, as well because you're trying to figure out your own motives and why you want it to end or whatever. But it's like, I often believe nothing's wasted in God. So even the easy guess and the hard guess, you still, God can use it. So in a moment, Ian's going to come and lead us in communion. I, I just, what I wanted to do instead of saying shoulds is just ask some what ifs. What if as a church, what if, because we'll keep doing what we can to try and, do teas and coffees and have shared lunches and I'll try and create some occasions for social occasions together. 
Yep, because this is part of what we need. What if when we went out to have lunch, we had it with someone else? With an eye for people we didn't know. What if, while we eat anyway, what if we just looked for opportunities to invite other people to eat as well? What if we picked the stuff that we love doing, going off to the batch, and we thought, who'd like to come and join us with that? What if we um, made a practice, found some people who lived close to us and just said, how about once, once a month we'll have a meal together? Not a special meal, just a meal so that we're together. What if we hosted students? What if we looked for opportunities, if we've got a spare bedroom, of using that? What if, as a community, for someone coming in, and we're really good at saying hi to them, Actually, this is the church that's uh, uh, doing well at that. What if it led to a lunch out or a meal? What if we had that time? Wouldn't that be great? Um, a while ago, there was, I was in a difficult conversation with someone, and they said to me, they were talking, they said to me, I don't know that we have enough shared relationship to have a conversation of this weight. And I remember thinking, yeah, actually, it seems to take that. It seems to take time spent with people playing Smite or Uno, doing stuff together. I guess if we wanted to be that, we might have to let some other things go. The fear of being judged, having a perfect house, having a perfect life. The plan of having all the answers, because actually to invite people in your life discovers you know Jesus. What if? That's where the early church started. I think that's part of, this was a preamble to communion, part of how, why eating together became at the core of church. Thanks for sharing, guys. Ian, I hope that hasn't put you in a terrible position. You can. Thank you. Hello, my name's Ian. Um, I'm a regular churchgoer for the last three weeks. I'm averaging 75% of uh, arriving and being here. The last 18 months, about 6.5%. Um, and it's hugely ironic that we've talked about hospitality today. And um, I've owned a cafe for three years, and I've just got out of the hospitality industry. So um, I didn't know you were actually talking about hospitality to be perfectly honest. So I just wanted to just talk something that just kind of got into my head on Wednesday um, that I just wanted to talk about. I'm just going to use a couple of tools though first. Because one of the things that kind of I got used to is I didn't actually have a very good chef, so I ended up becoming a bit of a chef. And so I started doing this and started being a chef. <laughs> Just checking to make sure you're awake. Okay. <laughs> and you are. I got very good at it. I've got two fingers left, so that's good. 
Just, um, I wanted to share something with you um, as we um, go into communion. I just wanted to say what a huge privilege it is to actually do this. And one of the things I was doing there was sharpening my tools, and one of the things I had to do was to actually sharpen up my skills to actually prepare this today and to present this today and kind of looked at what, um, what communion's all about. And some of the things that came, um, came to mind was the meal that makes us one, uh, the greatest expression of God's love for his people, and it's a testimony by partaking in it, testifying that Jesus' body was broken for me and that he shed blood for me. And it's the most loving thing I have ever, ever heard of. Um, I think our ministry is to love and to look after each other, both Christians and non-Christians alike. One of the things that comes to mind is uh, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother or sister is born for a time of adversity. So looking along, I'll get you to look along your uh, rows now, looking at the people that are there. There'll be somebody there that needs help or can give help. That's all. You're always going to fall into those categories. And, and I'm here to... Um, I've come back to church to actually worship God and to say thanks. Because without him, I would actually not be here. Um, this knife, four months ago, um, I sat at the top of the Port Hills with this at my wrist to finish my life because of the pressure of what was going on. Thank God that I wasn't any good at doing it. And thank God for my small group. You talk about hospi hospitality. Without my small group and the hospitality given by them, I wouldn't be here today. So I just think that doing um, communion, it's all about community. We talk about hospitality. We talk about, somebody said, I think, um, uh, said about being vulnerable. We need to be actually vulnerable and actually be prepared to actually tell each other what we're actually feeling and how we're actually feeling. We're bloody good at putting on a great church face on a Sunday and telling everybody that everything's fine. Because I did that for 18 months when everything wasn't fine. And the only time I actually felt like actually putting it right was when the hospitality... Hosp Hospitality was given by my small group that I felt comfortable being able to talk to them. And for that, I am eternally grateful. So as I call um, my helpers to come along and we actually share communion today, I'd just like to share another verse with you, or another couple of verses. Yesterday, I would not have believed that tomorrow the sun would shine. Then one day, you came into my life I am alive again, I am alive again. All the empty yesterdays have disappeared, now that you have filled my life with love. No one else could ever mean so much to me. Every day my high lasts longer, as our love grows ever stronger.
That's uh, from Chicago's Greatest Hits, uh, 1978. The song's Alive Again. <laughs> so I would like us now to share um, communion and I just ask for our helpers to come along as we share the bread and the, and the wine that represents the blood and the broken bones of our Lord Jesus Christ.